0: So in the summers, we do the Psalms, and I mentioned that in case you walk in here and you haven't been here before. The uh, book of Ephesians, we're kind of in the middle of it, and we just stopped when we got to the summer and spend a few months in the Psalms, and then when the fall gets here, we'll be back in the book of Ephesians again. But uh, for now, the Psalms, and today we're in Psalm 20. Uh, it's a short psalm, and it's usually tied together with Psalm 21. They kind of make a, a pair together. Uh, psalm 20 is a, a prayer that is made to God, seeking His involvement for help and Psalm 21 serves kind of like the sequel, and just to give the ending away, it's a celebration that God did in fact answer their prayer, does in fact uh, give them the, the victory that they're asking for in, in Psalm 20. So uh, today though, we are just going to focus our, our, our focus onto Psalm 20 itself. Um, now Psalm 20 could have been written by, by King David, it says a Psalm of David at the top there. Uh, That means one of two things, either David wrote the psalm or it was a a psalm that was written on on behalf of David. Uh, This one seems more likely to be written in that way, on on behalf of David. Uh, And part of that is it's certainly intended, uh, designed to be sung as part of a liturgy uh, on behalf of their king, uh, the people on behalf of their king, on behalf of their nation. Uh, and this is clear, you'll, you'll see there it's addressed to the choir master, and it's also uh, very liturgical in its form. That's why you see in the second half that term we, it's a, a group that is making this proclamation to the Lord. Uh, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and read, and, and just before we read, um, uh, just so you can better understand it, when you see the word he in this, it means God, uh, and when you see the word you or your, it's referring to, to King David, and that just helps us keep in a little better order as we are reading it. Uh, Psalm 20, verse 1. <clears throat> May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you with your, your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation And in the name of our God, set up your banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God, your word here speaks of kings, and we have no king in our government. Your word speaks of the might of chariots and horses, and our military no longer utilizes these weapons. But Lord, it also speaks of the day of trouble and the day... The days of trouble, the days of struggle, the days of fear and anxiety are timeless. And so teach us today from this psalm to look to you in the days of trouble. Lord, if anything said today is out of accord with your word, would it fall to the ground and never reach the ears of your people? But if it be true, would it penetrate to the hearts of those who hear it and and be a comfort to their souls? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, to date myself a little, I began seminary in 2002, um, and in early on you begin to look for any opportunity to, to preach at all, and so uh, this is in the Dallas area, and I would uh, found I could go preach at the retirement home, and the people there were the most encouraging people in the world. Um, they'd leave to you know go to the bathroom in the middle of your sermon, but uh, afterwards they were the most encouraged person you could ever, no matter what you said, they had nothing but encouragement to say. Uh, And the other place that I had opportunity to preach was in the classroom, and that was one of the most uh, intimidating situations ever. If you can imagine preaching, and everyone out there with a piece of paper in front of them, a critique form, as they are uh, actually reviewing everything you say and how you say it. I can remember... uh, uh, my professor was the, the Scottish pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, and, and that even made me more intimidated. Uh, and I'll never forget that after after my first sermon, he stands up to kind of give you a, an explanation of what's happening, and I'm I'm waiting to hear what sort of review is he going to give me. Uh, and the first thing out of, his, out of his mouth is, never wear a striped shirt into the pulpit. Did you hear anything else? No. No. Uh, <laughs> which I guess was a, a good thing, uh, ultimately. Um, and, and he said, you know, it's, it's distracting and it communicates uncertainty. And, and maybe that's why I've grown so accustomed to the robe over the years. Uh, it was something that seemed weird to me at first, but uh, you know, it covers my poor fashion sense. Now you can only see it barely from my, my wrist here. Um, but anyway, those were opportunities to preach when I was in seminary, seminary the retirement class and in class, um, the retirement home and in class. And I'll never forget just the weightiness of uh, the first time I, I got to stand up before a congregation and, and preach the Word of God to the people of God, uh, it felt very different than, than the other situations. Uh, and at the time, I, I wrote about it in my journal. And, and what comforted me that morning before I, I went to preach was the psalm we've just read this morning, uh, the one we just read together as you followed along. And, and I wrote that day, uh, early that Lord's Day, I actually wrote my journal, and I'll read to you what I wrote here. Uh, September fourth, two 2005. This morning at 11 a.m., God willing, I will preach for the first time to a morning church congregation. God, I am nervous. Not as much as I would have been in the past, and yet more than I ought to be. Just this morning, I read in Psalm 20 that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but the psalmist trusts in the Lord his God. May that be my prayer this morning. May my trust be in you, my Lord, my God. I have prepared with what I pray as your guidance this week, a sermon that requires that I be emotionally open. Please grant me this openness when the time comes for me to ascend the pulpit at 1120 or so. God, I am a weak man who has no confidence in himself, and that doesn't bother me, so long as the faith you have given me remains, com- remains confident in my Lord and his strength to carry me through. Please be with me this day. In Christ's name I pray. And so that was the the prayer that morning, Uh, the comfort that came from this psalm. I hope this morning that you too are are comforted as we look into this psalm 20 um, because the the Christian life is learning to trust the Lord, Uh, not only for the big things in life like our salvation, the forgiveness of sin, but the smaller things in life as well like uh, food on the table today at lunch. And the psalm that we have before us this morning teaches us this very well. Now, uh, this psalm certainly peaks in verse 7. That's the one we want to get to. It's the one we look at. It's the one that sticks with us. Uh, but when we're preaching through God's word, we want to make sure we get a, a fuller picture, the big picture of what that is, uh, you know, verse 7 of. And so we're going to begin at the beginning, and we're going to work our way there. Uh, this begins with uh, the first stanza. The first stanza is verses 1 through 5, and it consists of seven statements. All seven of those statements beginning with that word, may. May, it's indicating that this is a prayer to the Lord. They're asking something, and, and they're, they're, they're asking this of God, but it's being communicated, it's being actually directed to the king, as you can see there. Uh, the king in this is David. Um, in fact, the fact that the way that they are addressing this or directing this at King David is similar to the way that we use the, the well-known benediction in, in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and, and give you peace. It's spoken to someone, but it's ultimately a prayer to the Lord. And the first prayer that they, they pray to the Lord here is, is they're asking that he will answer the king on the day of trouble. Uh, the specifics are lacking here. We don't know exactly what's going on. But for Israel in this time, the, the day of trouble was certainly an enemy nation. Uh, it was uh, that they were approaching a battle, a war, that they were about to go into a, a time of great fear. And in Israel, as a nation, this is always important for us to understand, we're the people of God. And while many Christians are citizens of the United States today, as a nation, we are not the people of God. As a nation, uh, you know, as a nation, uh, only those who are specifically have their faith in Christ today are the people of God. The church is the people of God. And yet, the day of trouble for us could very well be something similar here. The eve of a war, headed into war. It could also be any number of things. It could be an individual's battle with cancer. Uh, it could be a, a finding ourselves in, in some deep debt that's come from nowhere. It could be that we are struggling against some massive sin in our life and the struggle to, to defeat this sin, to get out of it. And, and what we're learning here, what we're learning in Psalm 20 is what Proverbs 18.10 describes so well, saying, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. See, the assumption in Psalm 20 is is that their king is, is praying to God. That's, that's the assumption. And their plea is that the Lord would answer the king's prayer. There's uh, There in verse 1, when, when God's referred to as the God of Jacob, it's uh, simply a shorter version of the longer name that God refers to himself as in, in Exodus 3.6 when, when he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then in, in verse 2 here, we... We see that the, the help is to come from the sanctuary, that it's to come from Zion. Now, Zion's one of those names that's real common in Scripture. You probably have seen it all the time. Uh, there's a, a church in Nebraska named Zion that used to be in our presbytery. Uh, but do you really know what the word Zion means? I'm, I'm shocked by how, how few of us even know what it means, though we see it all the time in Scripture. We, we sang the phrase last week, you know, we will feast in the house of zion and you wonder do we do we even know what we're singing of, what we're talking about why the name zion why is this such a hopeful name for christians to to proclaim so the the name shows up in scripture for the first time in in second samuel five seven uh, and there it's it's a name that's given for the city of david and the city of david is a name that we know is a another name for the city of jerusalem and then later in the same book, 2 Samuel, David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and, and the term Zion is used, used there. And this time it's not just another name for Jerusalem, but it's actually it's becoming connected with the idea of, of the presence of God. This, this is where the center of worship is. This is where they, they believe God to be found. And, and so whenever they seek help, they're seeking it from, from Zion, where they expect God's presence to be. Uh, later, though, and this is where the word Zion can get a little confusing. Later, Zion is this, this future hope. It's the eternal city which is, is named Zion. And so it's something that we look forward to. It's a, a picture of the kingdom of God where uh, you and I, if our faith is in Christ, our, we have our citizenship. Uh, that's exactly how the author in Hebrews writes of it. And in Hebrews 12, where he says, But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living, living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gatherings. And then just a, a few verses later in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, he writes, For here we have no lasting city. Many of you know this, right? Here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. That city is, is Zion. That's the future hope. You know, you you can learn more about this new Jerusalem, this this future Zion, in the last two chapters of of the Bible, in the last two chapters of uh, uh, Revelation. But here, though, the psalmist, just so you understand, the psalmist is actually thinking about the geological presence of the Lord, the uh, the place of God in Jerusalem, and they know they know that if their hope is going to come, if the if the hope, if if Help is going to come. It's going to come from God. That's where they're looking. And so in verse 3, they're praying that the Lord receive the king's sacrifices to God. Um, on first reading, we, we see there in verse 4, uh, maybe I'm not the only one. When I read that, the first thing I thought of was, was uh, Pedro's uh, speech in Dynamite, or Napoleon Dynamite. You might remember, it. you know, if you vote for me, all your wildest dreams will come true. Uh, it sounds like that's right out of scripture almost you know that here their prayer is may, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Um, this is where context is important because you, you read that out of context and it sounds like like they're asking for this blank check for King David right that whatever he wants will just will just happen. Uh, this isn't a, a prayer for all of his personal desires. It is, it is simply a prayer for these battle plans of their king to be successful. It's a prayer for the protection of the nation and, the, and them as a people group. See, the term salvation here isn't, isn't about uh, eternal salvation. It's about military victory in this moment. That, that's also the idea of the banners in verse 5. Armies marched with banners. Particularly as they would return celebrating a, a victory, they would march uh, with these banners, and, and they were such a beautiful sight that, in fact, you know, the, the Song of Solomon, the one we're always trying to get Sam to preach, um, but, uh, you know, that when he comes, one of the things that he, he does there, he's in love with this, this woman and, and this girl that he loves so much, and one of the things he says is he talks about these banners when he's complimenting her. Uh, he says in Song of Solomon 6.4, he says, you are beautiful as Tirzah, which is a city, m- my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome, as an army with banners. Um, he's quite the romantic. Remember that for Valentine's Day. Honey, you are as awesome as an army with banners. That is amazing. Um, but the second stanza then begins in verse 6. And, and I want you to notice here there's this voice shift, this shift of direction here uh, from, from being about to the king talking about the king you know specifically about the king and and the author writes there we see uh, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand and and again the immediate reference here is King David and we see that the people of God are confident that God will grant their king their nation the victory that they're asking for in fact every victory that God has granted them thus far and in the years that come after this, was God just further proving Himself to be mightier, proving Himself to be superior to every other false god that their enemy enemy nations were worshiping? And so, this gave them a confidence that God would answer, not as a, a magic genie who had to answer them right, but that God would answer as a as a mighty God who answers His people because He cares for His people. Um. And so then in, in verse 7, this is such a beautiful voice. I mean, look at it again. It's some, <clears throat> some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We, we know this idea. Anytime you, you bring out physical money, which might not be that often anymore, but anytime you bring it out, you see it there printed or stamped on our, our local currency, and, and God we trust. Which is a bit ironic when, you know, when you realize that the money it's printed on is more often what we as Americans put our trust in to accomplish whatever it is we're looking to see be accomplished. And so then, if we're to apply this verse to our lives in the year 2017, that is the year, right? Um, We must first understand what it meant to God's people a few thousand years ago, to understand it properly. You know, some of you know the answer, but, but why would they trust in chariots and, and horses? And the answer is that chariots and, and horses were the height of technology at that time. I know that sounds crazy, but it really was the height of technology at that time. These are the, the strongest weapons that any army could have. And the more horses one had and the more chariots they had, the stronger the army and the greater the expectation that they would, they would have victory in war. There's a a story in in 2 Kings where the the prophet Elisha is helping a a young servant boy see the strength of God. and In 2 Kings 6.15, we we read this. It says, uh, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and he went out, this is a young boy, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And so he looks out and he just sees these chariots are all around a big army. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so what he sees in this moment is, is that the might of God was greater than the might of their enemies that they could see surrounding the cities at that moment. And by seeing the, the might of their God, it, it worked to give them hope despite what would have looked like otherwise absolute defeat. In the book of Isaiah, there's, there's this warning against trusting in the military might and, and technology of the day using these, these same terms. Uh, uh, Isaiah 31.1, we, we read there, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because... They are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. I think you're you're getting it. the The point here is that God is is for you. The point here is that God is. If God is working for you, if God is fighting for you, then we can be absolutely certain that things will turn out better for us than if everyone else and everything else in the world were working for us and fighting for us, and yet God was not. Absolute confidence in that. And so what we've got to learn as God's children is, is that God is trustworthy. But, but the question's still before us. What chariots, what, what horses are, are you and I tempted to trust in today? I mean, if you, if you put this in military terms, uh, unfortunately, you know way better than I here, right? Uh, but we're probably talking uh, nuclear bombs, Blackhawks, things of that nature. You know, if we, if we said the verse today, it might be something like, um, some trust in stealth bombers and some in missiles, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I'll I'll say, you know, as an American, knowing that our military is uh, one of, if not the strongest in the entire world, I've assumed we're the strongest, uh, that has served to be quite a comfort to me in my lifetime. And yet what God is teaching us here is that we ought to trust in the one who is mightier than even the mightiest army, even if that army is ours. And, and, And yet where we place our trust is going to go far beyond military battles. Uh, We we place our trust in doctors. We we place our trust in family, Uh, of course, money, programs of all sorts. We put our trust in 401ks. Um, We put our trust in politicians, endlessly so it seems, you know, that that, that will elect this person and they will create the world that we dreamed existed. You know, many many today have, have placed their trust in President Trump. The eight years before that, many had placed their their trust in President Obama, and I I confess wrongly, you know, before that I I placed my trust in President Bush. Uh, My trust that that he would bring about the end of abortion, and when I cast my vote in college, that was my expectation. You know, we we put our trust in in hashtags as as if they might actually change the hearts of people. We we trust jobs to provide for our needs and, and in spouses to bring joy to our lives. And the truth is, we, we trust in so many things that simply are not God, and never should be. I'll, I'll be honest, when I read something like this, I, I kind of get stuck in this, this circular idea of, you know, I, I wonder, um, maybe you do too, you know, I, I wonder what does trusting God really look like here? <clears throat> you know, because sometimes it sounds like if I'm sick, and I, and I go to the doctor, and I, I take medicine, does that mean I'm not trusting God? Does that mean I'm trusting medicine and the doctor in, instead of God? And, and the answer is not necessarily. You know, both medicine and, and doctors are good gifts of the Lord to his, to his creation. And, and the point of Psalm 20 is not, not that he's saying don't use chariots. He's not saying don't use horses. You know, in fact, this army is going to use every horse, every chariot they can get their hands on. But, but their trust, their, their hope is, is in the Lord their God. And so trusting God doesn't mean that we, we don't use money in situations. It doesn't mean that we go to the doctor or, you, or not use medicines. And it doesn't mean that, that we're not going to drive tanks into battle. Or, um, rather, it means we're not going to put our hope in those things ultimately. When, when, when young David, you, you probably, one of the first stories you ever heard in scripture, whether you grew up in the church or not, uh, David and Goliath, you know, when he went out and, and he went to fight Goliath, he didn't go out empty-handed and just stand there waiting for the giant to fall. He, he had a slingshot with him, right? And the slingshot seemed ridiculous in, in some regards because he, he goes out there and he, and he says in First uh, Samuel 17, 45, he says to Goliath this huge beast of a warrior that he is a boy has gone out to fight and he says you come to me with a sword with a spear with a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied his trust wasn't in what the weapons were in that moment and the Lord delivered Goliath into the hand of, of David and David was victorious that day you know it's a it's a good exercise for us when we When we find ourselves wondering, is this something I'm I'm trusting in? And It's just to plug it into this verse, verse 7 here, you know. um, Some trust in promotions and investments, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God just as a way to remind us, whatever it is, we we find ourselves wondering, am I trusting in this, or is it simply a a tool of the Lord that I'm using wisely? You know, even if we don't say it that way, even if we don't walk through the verse that way, it's it's good to have this idea in, in mind. Parents, uh, you know, parents are, are wise when they when they seek wisdom from God's word and, and how to parent. When we, we we look to those who have raised children before us and and have experience, and and we look to that wisdom. This you know, this this all shapes the way that we're going to uh, disciple our children. But we also know that that our trust in our our, our child's faith, our, our trust in their their coming to. To to trust the Lord themselves that that's a gift that the Lord God gives, and so we can do everything we can as parents, and yet we are trusting the Lord to work in that way. This is every area of life. Those of you who are unmarried and desire a spouse, you you know you, you meet people, you might use an online dating site, you uh, you know have a friend set you up, you go on dates, you use wisdom in the whole process, but but ultimately you're, you're trusting the Lord to bring you together with a good man or a good woman for you to marry and. And, and that can be a difficult thing just learning to trust the Lord in that way uh, it's It's true in every area of life you know uh, 401ks are, are good to have no one's saying don't have them uh, they just they make a, a crummy God if your only hope is in that 401k see, see part of trusting God and this is very important if you've zoned me out come back in part of, of trusting God is is believing it's it's knowing that if that 401k of yours, or whatever your investment is, gets decimated by some crazy Ponzi scheme you never saw coming, that, that the Lord, he is mighty enough to provide for you some other way besides that. That's, that's the trusting in the Lord here. <clears throat> you know, even as a, a church, we have, we have a budget, we have plans we, you know, for how we're going to provide for that budget, but we must trust the Lord that he's going to provide for our, for our needs. Uh, we have plans and, and what it means to disciple also, you know, the, the proclamation of the gospel. We, we we know that there's all sorts of marketing strategies to attract people, but but, but we must learn as a church, to, to trust the Lord, to to open the eyes of the lost, to convert the hearts of sinners, to accomplish salvation in the way that only God can ultimately do it. And, and that's why, you know, even as we began as a, a church plant nearly four years ago, uh, we, we picked this Mark four twenty six through 29 as this theme verse, something that we were going to Uh, to look to as the way that the Lord builds his church. And uh, in that Mark 4, Jesus is speaking, and he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That was a theme verse for us because, you know, it's a a commitment to be faithful and to trust the Lord to build his church, his way. That doesn't mean we we do nothing. You know, even as a church, we've had Facebook ads before. We put signs around town uh, on the weekends just so people know that we uh, exist. We invite people to come to church. We didn't just sit back and wonder if anyone would figure out we exist, you know. And we come, we, we come together and we worship in this covenant community, but, but our trust is not in marketing, our, our trust is in the Lord that, that he would grow his church as only he can. <clears throat> so it's okay to make plans, it's good to make plans in fact, but, but let us not trust our plans over the Lord who is sovereign over all of our plans. In other words, do get a job, yeah? Uh... Good message right there, right? Uh, do get a job, do work, do earn money, so you can provide for your needs and the needs of your family. Uh, but put your trust in God, not that job, uh, so that if you lose that job, you don't lose faith that God will provide for you another job or another way or, or some way. George George Mueller, the uh, 19th century English evangelist, um, said this better. He said. Should it please the Lord to lay me on a bed of sickness or to keep me otherwise by reason of infirmity or old age or want of employment from earning my bread by means of the labor of my hands or my business or my profession, he will yet provide for me. It's that trust. Of course, God himself said it better than Mueller. Uh, in Proverbs 21:31. he says, the, the horse is made ready for the battle. You know what that means? You actually get the horse out and prepare it and saddle it and get the horse ready for battle. And the rest of the verse says this, The, the horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Always looking to God himself. The people in, in Psalm 20 then, uh, as it comes to an end, they express their, their hope in verse 8 as they, they speak of their enemy falling in defeat and they speak of their own rising in victory. That's their expectation and then in, in verse 9, there's this one verse stanza, this liturgical prayer of God, O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. You know, that's, that's where that well-known phrase comes from nations that have kings, always shouting, right? God save the king, or the queen, or whatever might be their, their ruler. Uh, we, of course, again, we have no, no king as Americans. Uh, But as Christians, as as citizens in the kingdom of God, we we do have a king. We have a a good king, a great king, and uh, our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called the king of kings, in fact. And our our king was shockingly not mighty in appearance. And our king has conquered with no armies. Uh, A a king who, who looked like... At the greatest moment of defeat was happening on the cross as it looked like the greatest moment of defeat. He was actually defeating death forever, for all, for everyone who would look to him with faith. Our our king laid down his life to give his people eternal life. Our our king delivered us from our sin. Our king is preparing a place for us. Our our king will come again with, with might and strength that the world has never seen. We have a mighty king. And Christians, may our trusting in the Lord with with all of our hearts may it just stomp out the anxiety in our hearts so that we rest in our God who is mightier than anything or anyone in in all of creation. So As we we finish up here, the the big thing here is I hope you're learning is is what it means to, to trust in the Lord. You know, yes, work, make plans. This is not an excuse to sit back and, and wait for God to provide while you sit there and do nothing. But our, our hope in every area of our life, no matter what it might be, whenever the, the day of trouble or unknown comes, that we trust in the Lord our God. Let's pray. <clears> o <throat> oh Lord, we are anxious in our lives because we look with hope to human wisdom. We look to human strength, to human resources. May we seek the help of those who are, are gifted with medical knowledge. May we seek the might of the military in battle. May we use money for good purposes. May we seek the various technologies of our day when, when they are helpful for the day of trouble. But Lord, may we put our trust in you alone. And would we find comfort in your power and your goodness for us as your people and your goodness to us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.